iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And we thank you for joining us on this rather cold Thursday morning. Although not as cold as some of you listening in certain parts of the world, I'm led to believe. In the studio with us, I'm very excited because we have Mr. James Gearbrandt and he brought his glasses. And down the line, not wearing glasses, but actually, are you wearing your house coat? It's Ollie K. <laughs> No, but you, you didn't. You didn't check that I wasn't wearing glasses. I do. I do own some some glasses. I, but um, but uh, no, you didn't. You didn't check. So that was, that was pretty cavalier of you. Um, I assumed you don't need radio glasses, right? <laughs> I don't. Exactly. Later on, things will heat up as we talk to one of the finest football writers I know, George Colkin, about a record-breaking week for who else? Newcastle, and we'll be trying to determine. What is going on at Chelsea? But we start with a dramatic midweek in the title race. Manchester City suffered a shock defeat at Newcastle on Tuesday, which offered Liverpool the chance to go seven points clear at the top of the table. But they couldn't take that chance, drawing one all at Anfield with Leicester, the first time all season that Jurgen Klopp's men have dropped points against a team outside the top six. Now, Ollie, they have increased their lead to five points, but in the circumstances... Does it feel like a psychological blow for Liverpool? It will feel like sort of one step forward, one step back. I mean, but it's strange to say that given given that they are actually you know another point clearer ahead than the, than they were at the start of the week. But it will feel like an opportunity missed in that they had the opportunity to go seven points clear. I think even more than the the sort of points difference, which which is obviously all important, um, is is the the fact that. There was weakness evident in Liverpool last night, which hasn't really been the case often this season. It was, it, they, they looked uh, nervous at the back. They looked uninspired um, going forward after the, after a very impressive start. And um, I would say much as um, Man City showed weakness on, on Tuesday night, Liverpool did um, against Leicester. And, and so, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's pretty much as you were. If anything, Liverpool's position is better than it was um, 48 hours earlier, but it's it, it will feel like some sense of uh, you know, an opportunity missed. Ollie, I, I kind of feel that this was coming in the sense that other than certain games here and there, really probably for, for the past four to six weeks, Liverpool haven't been playing as well as they had earlier in the season. I know perhaps people will focus on the defence, and that's what happens when now you have Henderson playing right back and, and Matip at centre half and they're not used to playing and, and whatever. And I think even Van Dijk had only just returned as well to, to training. But is there an issue at the top end of the pitch too? Well, no, I would say I would disagree with you in, in, in as much as that I would say Liverpool's form over the last sort of 
four, five, six weeks has probably been their their best of the season, or, or the past two months has been the best of the season. Really? If you go back to September, October, November, people felt that they were. Well, I certainly felt that they were getting results without sort of firing all, on all cylinders. I, I think they've they've kind of done enough. I think to the the, the well, certainly the Palace game. I think to to a number of games recently where I thought things broke their way, but they could have broken the other way. I thought earlier this season. They weren't playing as well. Maybe if you're talking about January, I mean, obviously they, they had the, the defeat at City. Well, I, I thought they played really well. Oh, they played really well at City. Yeah, um, no argument there. And they had a couple of good games over over the um, over the holidays. But I don't know. In general, I kind of feel like they've been sort of pacing themselves. I I, I, I think December is the month that they really clicked as an attacking force, and they weren't doing that before. They scored four against Palace when when they really had to. Um, I would say it's been coming in that, you know, logically you can't just go on winning game after game after game. And, and um, it, it, it was quite freakish, really, that they hadn't even dropped a single point to a team outside the top six until last night. And, and I thought when, once um, a team like Leicester, who are unpredictable, but they are capable of doing that. They're, they're awkward. They're good on the counter-attack. Good from um, aerial positions. And, and um, you know, it was probably one of the games where you would put a question mark next to it um, from a Liverpool point of view, you know, might they drop points there? Um, and they've got a few of those games coming up. So um, I, I, I would say not that it had been coming because they'd been playing poorly, because because they hadn't. But their most dominant period of the season, I think, was um, in terms of best performances, was, was December. I don't feel at any point this season they've, they've quite recaptured that real sort of freewheeling form at the end of last season, when particularly in the Champions League, up until the final, of course, they really were just tearing teams apart. I mean, I think they're sort of they're sort of playing in a slightly different way. I think you know, uh, perhaps a way that is is designed to sort of be more sustainable in the long term. That they're not maybe pressing quite as ferociously as they were last season. We've seen a little bit more sort of of a little bit more rotation in in the attacking end of the pitch, particularly with Shakiri getting getting a few minutes and uh, and and Cater and and so on and. For me, I think the real bedrock of their title challenge and, and the aspect that's actually impressed me more this season for Liverpool has been their defence. I think arguably they've been more impressive defensively than they have been attackingly. But how much can we blame the weather? Liverpool had just 10 shots. The only games in which they've had fewer were both against Manchester City and Jurgen klopp Gab said it had something to do with the snow. Well, he's a big snowflake, isn't he? Like, I mean, I... No. I don't know. Can somebody put this in context for me? Ollie, you, you live closer to Jurgen's house than I do. Can you tell me what he means? Well, it, it was snowing. I mean, <laughs> the only period where I, where I thought, um, gosh, that, that pitch looks awful was, was the first few minutes, um, during which time Liverpool just passed it absolutely brilliantly and, and, um, and, and scored, with a, scored with their first attack. And they scored just by passing, passing, passing. And... and I thought the pitch was slowing them down, but it was the same for both teams, really, isn't it? And it, it, it well, you could say you could say it wasn't the same for both teams. In the in the BT Sport showed at halftime, Liverpool ground staff were uh, clearing the start one end of the pitch and not the other. Which um, <laughs> what did you make of that, Ollie? Not the most outrageous thing I've ever seen, but but you know, not 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 terribly sporting. But it's um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put on. I need this is where I need to put on my Duncan Castles hat, honestly. If that had been Manchester United and that had been Mourinho having his ground staff go and do something like that, can we agree that 
we'd be crucifying him right now? It'd be skullduggery. Oh, completely. Mm. Are we using double standards because we in the media love Jurgen Klopp and we have an agenda against Jose Mourinho? Well, 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 well do we? Because I, I don't think I, I don't think any of us love Jurgen Klopp or hate Jose Mourinho. But I, I mean, it's hardly the first time I've heard of that. I mean, you could, you could, you could say, is it any different to? Leads sending spies to, or sending staff to spy on the training session. Um, well, it's you know that they, they, they would both be sort of considered naughty if you to, to use a pretty feeble adjective. Um, I thought it might have become more of a story on the night than than, than it did. I, I thought you know it's, it's the kind of thing that newspapers like to have a bit of fun with. But I, I don't know whether he was asked about it in his post match press conference or whether anyone else was. Liverpool were asked about it, but I don't think it's the biggest deal. I think I think it's I've certainly seen it before. I've seen um, managers sort of reduce the width of the pitch to the um, almost the, the bare minimum. I remember Graham Souness doing that with Rangers many many years ago. Um, the way clubs use home advantage sometimes. Yeah, and I suppose no different to, to a, a groundsman watering a pitch before a game at half time, for example, just because the manager maybe want a, wants a slicker surface. But should we um, show some love for Claude Puel, James? Nobody else will. <laughs> I mean, I, I I wouldn't go quite so far as some I'm a Puelista, but yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I do. I, you know, I've I've defended uh, Claude Puel on this uh, on this podcast before. Um, in terms of if you look at the defensive stats uh, expected goals against and so on I think Leicester are probably a you know top five or six defensive team in in the league they are extremely well set up to play against the big teams as you know they've obviously beaten Chelsea and Manchester City this season and and, and now drawn with Liverpool Um, and for me it doesn't particularly matter that their points skew slightly more than you would expect towards the bigger teams and slightly less than you would expect against the the, the lesser teams um i think one one criticism that i've certainly heard from a leicester fan i can't remember whether it was on a, a phone or something and I, I don't know whether this is representative but but i heard someone say that the the gripe against claude Puel is that is that leicester it's it's the inconsistency that that bothers leicester fans but there is not a team outside the top six about whom you could not say they're inconsistent. I mean, Wolves are seventh at the moment, and you know, for me, Wolves are probably are the the seventh best team in the league. But I mean, Wolves have been incredibly inconsistent this mm. season. So I mean, there's there's not a a single team outside the big six that you couldn't level that criticism against. And and while we're on it, the the other thing about Claude Puel is that this week there was some study that was published about number of minutes given to young players in the Premier League. I can't remember what the exact age cutoff was, whether it was under under 23 or under 24 but anyway Leicester were top and by about double the amount of young player minutes of, of, of the of the second best side so he is a coach that you know is great at bringing through young players I think we've seen you know we've seen him play Hamza Chowdhury this season he's recalled Harvey Barnes from his loan spell where I think you know other clubs maybe would not have done that um James Madison, Damari Gray, yeah. Ben Chilwell, absolutely. I mean, Maguire conveniently fits under your definition of young player too. So. That's true. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I think the valid criticism of Puel is, I guess, the the stylistic one. People, you know, don't like Leicester style, and I, I guess that is very kind of subjective. You know, you're sort of, you know, whether you kind of like the style that a football team plays. And you know whether you kind of you know how how much you prioritise that against the getting results is is quite personal to kind of each individual fan. So fair enough. On a kind of results and performance basis, 
I think it's quite hard to to criticise well, even if they are inconsistent. We mentioned there that Manchester City, of course, were beaten by Newcastle. Pep Guardiola's men have dropped more points this season than they did in the whole of last season. Granted, of course, that last season was the highest points haul in top flight history. Um, Ollie, why are we not seeing the same City? Um, it's hard to say. I, mean, it, it, well, I think Guardiola said last April, May that this season will be impossible to to repeat, and and it has proved impossible to repeat in terms of the the, the, the momentum, the however many consecutive wins they had um, in in the middle period of the season. They've they've not had anything like that kind of consistency this this season. And you know, it, 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 I know people talk about sort of issues and oh, have they been found out? Have they? I, I suspect it. A large part of it is is psychological, where where they were on that incredible run last season and it, it, it's hard to replicate that in the same way um, this season they've missed De Bruyne more as the season has gone on I know he's, I know he's back now but he doesn't seem to be firing on all cylinders yet um, I also think this, this is something that I've seen very few of anyone pick up on but David Silva the last month or so I, I think he's He's had a couple of really good performances, but, he, but he's had a few very quiet ones. That was another one the other night after after a promising start. Um, but even the Liverpool game where you know everyone was raving, raving about City's midfield, I didn't think he played great that night. Um, so I, I think there are various issues, but I, I, I just think it's 100 points is an absolutely freakish thing, and, and it's very, very hard to... Um, repeat that and they're still on course for a a total which would win the title in um, in pretty much any season and and, and might yet do so so I, I wouldn't be too worried about them This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you and here's one for you on this podcast. Which player has committed 57 fouls in the Premier League this season? That's 18 more than any other player. Okay, now I'm going from memory. And okay. historically, it's actually often a striker on a team that plays long ball. Remember, I think for like 10 years in a row, it was Kevin Davies over and over and over again. Because okay. it's a lot easier for, you know, there's a coming together. It's a lot easier for referees to call the foul on the attacking player when they can't be arsed to figure out what happened. Because if they call on the defensive player, then they got to give a penalty or free kick, right? So I would wager that it's it's a center forward, probably a big center forward, who plays all the time. It's either that or Andrew Herrera, but Andrew Herrera just hasn't played enough. You know, I'm sure in terms of fouls per minute, I would assume it's probably him. Ashley Barnes or? That would be a good one. But has he, yeah, he's, he he hasn't played, I think. He's quite, yeah, he's quite, he's, Mm, yeah. Well, I like all these uh, suggestions. You haven't got long to find out. Stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer. Chelsea slipped out of the top four on Wednesday night after suffering their biggest league defeat since 1996. Thrashed 4-0 at Bournemouth. All four goals coming in the second half. Maurizio Sarri publicly criticised his players and their lack of motivation after the defeat at Arsenal in their last league outing. This time, 
Sari kept the team locked in the dressing room for 45 minutes after the game. And Sari apparently asked the players, is it me? What do you make of this, Gab? That second half was absolutely humiliating. You know, we can sit here and praise Eddie Howe and talk about how clever he is and his dead-eye stare. But, you know, you're talking about two goals on defensive mistakes on counterattacks. And then the other two at the end were Chelsea desperately trying to get back into it. My understanding of what he said to the players wasn't quite, wait, is it me? It was more sort of challenging them to try to come up with, well, why does this happen? You know, why? And in, in, in previous games, we've seen them play a bad first half. I'm thinking of the Spurs game in the, was the League Cup first semifinal and then playing really well at the end but not scoring. I think they're not executing. They're not executing well. What I certainly don't think is the knee-jerk expo-pundit explanation that, oh, look, you know, he only does like-for-like replacements and Conte's playing out of position. Because out of position, Conte nearly scored a goal and should have scored, actually, and we could have been having an entirely different discussion. Oli, the suggestion from Sari is that the Chelsea side don't react well to going a goal down. Why do you think that might be? Because, of course, this was a side that have players in it that were champions less than two years ago. Well, they were... Champions in 2017, champions in 2015, um, 2016, they were, what, 10th? Very, very distant 10th. And, and last season, they were a very, very distant 5th. Um, and I think if you look at this group of players, um, and it was said of a previous Chelsea team, you know, the, 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 the sort of Terry Lampard, Cole, uh, Drogba, etc. team before, but, but this is a totally different group of players. Um they seem to blow very hot and, and, and cold. And, you know, they had that fantastic first season under, under Conte and, and then seemed to lose interest. Um, they had a fantastic start under uh, under um, Asari and seem to have lost interest. Again, maybe I'm doing them a disservice by saying it's loss of interest. Maybe it's loss of inspiration. I don't know. But I, I for all the questions that are being asked about Sorry, in terms of you know micro issues like the ones that Gab was talking about, I think you've got to look at this group of players and say you know what is it that makes them lapse into really really poor form individually and collectively as soon as they. Uh, I don't think it's about losing um, conceding a goal; it's about um, losing a game and, and then losing their momentum. And yes, apparently, well, I, I didn't see the game in um, last week against against Tottenham because I was in Spain; I wasn't able to see it, but. I'm told they played well that night, but they certainly haven't played very well very often over the past two or three months. And I think Sari is clearly slightly despairing of them. And as much as fans and maybe even the players themselves might be despairing of Chelsea's tactics, I, I do think you've got to look at the players. Is it a problem of system or personnel then? I think it's kind of both and also more. I think, I think in a couple of key positions, they don't really have the personnel to kind of fit the system that Sarri wants to play. They don't really have a sort of attacking midfielder to really attack the box in the same way that Marek Hamsik did for Sarri's Napoli team. It sort of looked at the start of the season like maybe Kovacic was going to play that role and now it actually seems to be that Conte is playing as the most advanced of the midfield three. And they also don't, they haven't so far, had a centre forward to really give them, I think, what Sarri wants, even though... Eden Hazard is also Belgian and also quite short. He's not really the same sort of player as Dries Mertens. 
we haven't even kind of mentioned it. Yeah, but I, I certainly do not think Sarri should be sacked. I think, you know, they should be given more time. I think all recent precedent in the Premier League tells you that, you know, Rome is not built in a day. If you are trying to play this dogmatic or systemic type of football or, you know, a, a style of football that relies a lot on kind of synchronisation and, you know, sort of choreographed training ground movements then it takes time. You know, we've seen that with, with Pep. You know, his first season was very underwhelming. They, I think, lost 4-0 to, to Everton. Liverpool had some very poor results in, in Jurgen Klopp's first half season in charge. Um, I would persevere with... Sorry, what, what strikes me about Chelsea, though, this season is how familiar it all feels, which I think possibly more so than I expected, because I think when Sarri was appointed, I think there was a real sense that... They were really moving away from what they had done before, trying to appoint a manager who was going to have a philosophy that everyone was going to buy into and really get everyone moving in the same direction. And what slightly worries me is the signs that we're seeing of things fraying a little bit and people not really pulling in the same direction. Sarri saying quite a lot in his press conferences that he sort of doesn't really understand what his players are doing or or how they're why they're reacting the way that they do. Hazard came out and said that he prefers not to play as the false nine, which obviously he's not going to do anymore. But all the same, I think there are kind of little signs of, of not kind of having that sort of holistic philosophy that maybe I think was the whole reason I mean, that... I, I, I think that's a really good point that, that James makes. And I think there's two things to add to Sari, which I think people over here maybe haven't, haven't fully picked up on. One is, if you're going to be a foreign manager in this country, you either need to speak excellent English or use a translator the way Pochettino did for the first four years here when he pretended he couldn't speak English. Because Sari came here speaking English, I, I think some of his words, he hasn't chosen them carefully, he doesn't realize that while the word may sound the same in Italian, it's got different meaning here and different context here. On top of that, Sari's not a great communicator to begin with. He's not a great communicator in Italian either. You know, when he was in Italy, he's not somebody who when you ask them questions in, in press conferences in front of mics, he would often say things that, that that weren't great or that didn't seem to necessarily go and go and make sense. And in Naples, he actually had a press officer who I don't think was very good, which then led to fueling more questions because normally what happens is, you know, a foreign manager says something and then the press flat comes over and says, oh, well, what he meant was this. I think that's something to think about. That, that tends to have a snowball effect. The other thing that I think is, is, is on him, and this is something he did at Napoli and it's something he's still doing at Chelsea, is I don't understand this need to always play the exact same people. You know, it, it seems that now that Iguain's here, you know, the only question marks are, you know, look, well, Emerson, we have little tweaks, right? Emerson's played the last couple of games instead of Alonso. And other than the familiar Barkley-Kovacic one, sometimes Pedro and William, but it's the same people. And, you know, I understand that if, you know, you've got Dixon, Winterburn, Adams, and Keown, or better yet than Keown, bold. But that's not who they are. You know, David Luiz and Antonio Rudiger, why can't you give Christensen mm-hmm. a, a chance once in a while, right? Other than just the Europa League. Because when you send these guys out and Loftus Cheek, is another one, and we saw him last night. But it wouldn't kill you to, to you know, I'm saying put Loftus cheek in for Conte or Jorginho, but figure out how to make him part of the uh, of the rotation part of the system. Because what happens is, otherwise, when people are missing, there is such a lack of chemistry, and his game is built on chemistry. Um, and I, I don't think that's that's really helped him. That, that's really helped him either. 
Can we give a shout out to my main man, David Brooks? Oh, I see. He needed to say. He's so special. He's so special. I know Eddie Howe will get the credit, and fair enough, Eddie, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> I watched this game last night. Cook and Ake were really, really, really good at the back. Um, this guy, Brooks, is tremendous. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As mentioned already, Tuesday night was a positive one for Liverpool and a very positive one for Newcastle United. George Colkin joins us now. And George, in the Times, you described Tuesday as a blissful, bonkers night, beating the champions Manchester City, but also the club record signing of Miguel Almiron, a club record that has stood for over 13 years. Yes, and that's been confirmed in the last few minutes, actually. So uh, Almiron has agreed a five and a bit year contract, and yeah, I mean the the record fee itself is probably it's just a historical <laughs> historical detail, really. It was so long ago, but um, from the very low point of Saturday when Newcastle went out of the FA Cup, and it felt like a very flat atmosphere that was sort of building towards protest again. Um, they sort of dredged that performance out of nowhere and theoretically should be making their life a bit easier in the months ahead, hopefully. As a public service, just because people have been asking me on Twitter, I've only seen Amiron on television. I can relate what I've, what I've seen anyway, which is clearly more than Danny Mills has. Um, he was really, really good on MLS. You need to modulate that with the fact that he was on a very, very good team that scored a ton of goals and excited a lot of people and played very attacking football, which I think Newcastle probably won't do initially. 
he is somebody, though, people forget this, but when he was in Argentina, he was at Lanús, who they either won the league or they came very, very close. And they were a small team that, that had kind of done really, really well. And that's kind of when he got onto, uh, onto the map. And he was being tracked by a lot of teams back then. And Atlanta United, I think, paid a fair bit of money by MLS standards to go and sign him. He has this thing that he does. I think what gets people excited is, one, is he's incredibly athletic. Um, and he really puts in a shift defensively, uh, even though he is a creative attacking midfielder. What he does extremely well, and it felt as if he did this like maybe 50 times last year, um, he plays with this guy named Joseph Martinez, who used to be a winger, who is now plays through the middle, and he's he's very fast, and he's very good at timing his runs to run in behind. So what you would see time and again is... Atlanta would, would win the ball on the threat on the press. Sometimes Almiron would win it himself. He quickly get the ball. He would look up and he'd hit this pass into space, timing it per- perfectly for this other guy, Martinez, to run into, and then he'd have a one-on-one chance with a keeper. If you go on YouTube, you will see how often this happened time and again. So if I were speculating about what Rafa might do, he would see him as somebody who's potentially going to really key the counterattack. You know, on those games when Rafa goes away from home and they have to sit. If we're talking about transfer records, the last time they did it, Michael Owen, England international, you know, who was at Real Madrid, well, theoretically at the peak of his career, certainly didn't prove that that way at Newcastle. And and now kind of 20 million quid gets you somebody who's had a, who's had a couple of good seasons in, in the MLS. Uh, and has played 12 times for Paraguay. I mean, I suppose it shows it sort of shows the difference um, in sort of what, what's happened in that intervening period. I suppose the in terms of hopefulness, Almiron was Benitez's first choice target this window. So that gives you a degree of hope that he can improve matters, and it's a position that Newcastle has needed, um, you know, a bit of creativity in. So. I mean, I you know, transfer window brings out instant experts everywhere, doesn't it? Whether you're sort of journalists or or punters, but you know, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how he how he does. But Newcastle are crying out for creativity, so hopefully he will he will bring a bit of difference there. And as Tuesday night showed, when it comes to organising a defence, there aren't many better than Benitez, George. I think he just. I just don't think there are many managers better at making life difficult for other managers. I mean, I think I think that's the case. Certainly, when Man City came to Newcastle last season, afterwards Guardiola was telling people in private that, you know, that that Benitez had made things more difficult for him than than sort of anybody else. And I think that's what you know that's what he's good at. He's very good at uh, setting tactical problems, and you know, it does make you wish that he had better players and a better team at Newcastle. So instead of just setting kind of problems for other teams to solve, he could be, he could actually sort of be, uh, you know, doing something a little, a little bit more kind of proactive. But, um, but yeah, I mean, when Newcastle get everything right, when the team performs 100% to its capability, they've got a manager that can, that can make life very difficult for opposing teams. So it is transfer deadline day as we record this. And one deal that has been confirmed is the exit of Marwan Fellaini from Manchester United. He moves to China then, ending a ten and a half year spell in English football. James, what do you think Fellaini's legacy will be to English football? Well, I guess Fellaini sort of came in sort of around the time that 
4231 was beginning to become really popular and, and, you know, around the kind of real rise of the defensive midfielder. And I guess initially that's what he was seen as. And then he sort of became sort of more of a sort of awkward attacking weapon towards the end of his time at Manchester United. I think he probably lasted a lot longer than Manchester United than many people might have expected and, and was serviceable for a succession of managers. But will probably perhaps unfairly be remembered as sort of being emblematic of a sort of era of not just underachievement at Manchester United, but sort of an era of an era where United didn't necessarily play the most exciting attacking football, should we say, and he, he might be remembered as an emblem of that. But he's lasted an incredibly long time in English football. And if there's one thing you can say about him, he will be remembered. I think people will, you know, people will kind of remember Moreau and Fellaini. He's not a player that you will you will forget necessarily. Arsenal have signed Dennis Suarez on loan from Barcelona, a player that Unai Emery has worked with before at Sevilla. Uh, is that a good move, Gab? I think Arsenal have a numbers issue now because Dennis Suarez is basically an attacking midfielder. Um, he's he's on loan with, with an option to buy um, and I suppose he'll audition for the, for the Ramsey role, I'm guessing. But it is fundamentally another attacking midfielder type on a team that has two attacking midfielders named Mesut Ozil and Henrik Mkhitaryan who make an absolute ton of money and don't seem to be in the starting eleven. Hello and welcome to The Sweeper, the Times' fantasy football tip service. Uh, my name is Paddy Bombay. I'm here alone this week while Charlie recovers from surgery on a torn ACL. Uh, fingers crossed for a swift recovery. Um, transfer deadline day, which is um, very exciting in the football world, but not so exciting always in fantasy land because managers tend to get carried away a bit with new signings and we tend to warn you not to do that. Gonzalo Higuain, probably the biggest name to come in this month, um, but as we saw on Wednesday night, he's not exactly caused an upturn in Chelsea's fortunes yet. He's not exactly brought the best out of Eden Hazard, as we might have hoped. Best to wait and see on that front, see uh, if Chelsea improve. Um, before jumping towards the 9.5 million striker. Newcastle broke the transfer record with Miguel Almiron uh, from Atlanta United. It's going to be another massive wait-and-see one. He's an un- unknown quantity in the Premier League. Newcastle tough to rely on at the best of times, even if they can beat the champions. Um, so don't rush to any new faces yet. More importantly is the double game week this week. Uh, Everton and Man City have two fixtures apiece. Again, don't get carried away. They're not great doubles. Everton, of course, play City as one of theirs, and City are so prone to rotation, especially when they've got two fixtures in such a short space of time. I wouldn't warn against bringing in one or two players for the double. Uh, Someone like Aguero, who you can give the captain's armband to uh, if you've got that sort of money. It all depends on how many of your guys are going to be having a blank game week in game week 27, which is just around the corner. City, Everton, Chelsea and Brighton all don't have a fixture in that. So if you've already got a few of their players, don't start loading up on any more because you're going to start panicking in the next couple of weeks. Ditto, Richarlison and Sigurdsson for Everton are probably safe options to go for for the double, but there's not much else out there, thanks to Lucas Dina's suspension. Elsewhere, Song Hyun Min is back for Spurs, which is great news. He scored already on Wednesday night. Um, he's going to be a big player in Kane and Ali's absence, so feel free to bring him in. Wolves look great. Uh, Jimenez scored twice midweek. Jota is playing up front with him, looks sharp. 
their fullbacks as ever are super reliable, Doherty and Johnny. And what about Mitrovic? He's a confidence player up front for Fulham. Scored twice in midweek. Is he about to go on another run, as he did earlier in the season? Quite possibly. Wouldn't warn against you having a punt on the Serbian striker. And good luck with that if you do. As ever, for more tips, just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football and sign up for the email. Or head over to Facebook, search for The Sweeper, join our group, ask us some questions, and we'll answer as many of them as we can. It is time now for our weekly predictions game. We've taken a bit of a break. Yeah, funny of that. <laughs> Gab, you've not been happy about that, no. have you? Because you do want to cut down the massive lead that I currently have, don't that's you? That's okay. It's like, you know, that's a great thing. It's, it's, it's like, you know, golf when you've got a lower handicap. That's fine. It's something to aim but, for. But I need to be given a chance to at least catch up. <laughs> okay, then. Let's start with the game at Wembley. It's Tottenham taking on Newcastle at Wembley, then. Come on. All right, so. Hongmin Son is back. Yes. I thought Spurs showed a ton of character in coming back mm-hmm. last night. And I think this is another psychological barrier broken through. Newcastle, obviously, big result for them against City. But yes, I'm going to say Spurs to win this one. 2-0. Oh, now look, I have 2-0 there too. Funny that. It's, I do. Go on then, you ask me the next one. I'll go first. Leicester City who took a point from Liverpool at Anfield against Manchester United were, by the way, we haven't dwelled on this enough, despite the fact United being the biggest team in the history of the universe, by drawing with Burnley, and by the way, props to my man Sean Dyche, well done, (laughs) Um, they broke the streak of consecutive wins at eight. So Leicester against United, what do you reckon, uh, Natalie? For some reason, I just feel like this game's got goals in it. Has Ollie lost his mojo, though? Well, I don't want to say he's lost his mojo, but I just feel like, you know, maybe... Leicester on a bit of a, a bit of a roll after the the result at uh, Anfield. I don't know. I'm just going for a two two draw. I just have a feeling for it. I'm still on board with the Ollie bandwagon. <laughs> I'm going to say United to win one nil on a Pogba penalty. Okay, right. Big game at the Etihad sees Manchester City taking on Arsenal. Arsenal up into fourth now after Chelsea's defeat at Bournemouth. Yeah, on goal difference. Goal I difference know, is kind of nonsense, no. obviously. But City have to bounce back. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Pep Guardiola we're talking about, right? They're going to bounce back, yes? Yeah. So I'm going to say a resounding victory. And I thought also Arsenal were poor against Cardiff for, for much of that game. So, yeah, I'm going to say uh, City 3-1. Ooh, okay. I, I agree with you. I think City will win this one. And you're right, Arsenal were poor against Cardiff, in particular in that first half. Um, and I'm going for a 2-1 City win. Next up, we have... Leeds United cheating Leeds United <laughs> spying on everybody against Norwich are Norwich one of the teams that lodged a complaint against them and want them thrown out Norwich Middlesbrough Derby Blackburn Brentford Bristol City Hull Millwall Forest Preston and Swansea Bielsa come on it's not going to happen right oh you see again 2-0 Leeds easy R- really See, I again, I just feel like it's another game that's going to have goals in it. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if there was late drama in this one. Uh, I'm just saying 2-2 two, two again. 2-2, two, two. Yes. wow. And then uh, we move to France. Quite a big game to look forward to. Lyon against PSG. So PSG have a ton of issues here, Natalie, especially the fact that um, they don't have any central midfielders until they signed Paredes, who... You know, some people wonder whether that was money well spent or whether that was some kind of uh, desperation uh, move. Obviously, Neymar is out. They keep getting the results. But I think if you're PSG, this is when you can start taking your foot off the gas a little bit. 
Lyon away is about as not easy as it gets for PSG in Ligue 1. So I think they could drop points here. I'm going to say a 1-1 draw. Ooh, okay. Right, interesting. I I still think PSG will come good, um, despite them having to go away to Lyon. And I'm going for them to win this one 2-1. Just time for us to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. Which player has committed 57 fouls in the Premier League this season? That's 18 more than any other player. You've done very well, especially when you were going with the striking options. Ah. But not, in particular, the right player. You haven't gone for the right player. Well, Lukaku's on the bench now. So he's no, it's one of your favourites, Gav. I can't believe you didn't think of this person. Well, it's not Bas Dost, is it? It's only Glenn Murray. <laughs> Glenn! <laughs> and he's been in and out, too, hasn't he? <laughs> That's amazing. What is it? Like fouls per minute. That's going to be huge. (laughs) Given that generally when players get old, referees tend to treat them, you know, giving them benefit of the doubt. Like a younger Glenn Murray behaving the same way, he'd probably be up at like to like 100 fouls right now. (laughs) Amazing. That's all we've got time for today. Many thanks to our excellent guests, James Gearbrandt. George Colkin and Ollie Kay. Uh, remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We're going to be back on Monday after Manchester City and Arsenal. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times... Head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.